0: A couple of nights ago, Carrie Ann, my wife, and I were sitting on the couch together, and she said, you're not even listening to me, are you? And I thought, well, that's a weird way to start a conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Communication is difficult, right? It's hard. We don't communicate very well. We're not good at it. Anytime we try to communicate, it seems like there's a real potential for misunderstanding, especially if we're not paying attention. When that lady behind the register says, strip down facing me, she's talking about your credit card, okay? Just want to be straight with that, all right? There's all kinds of potential for misunderstanding when we attempt to communicate, That's why when God Almighty wanted to reveal himself to you, when he wanted to show the world exactly who he is and what he's doing and why he's doing it and how he's doing it, he didn't want there to be any misunderstandings at all. He knows how we are. And so when our God wanted to show us exactly who he is, he literally came here in our flesh and blood to show us. The creator of heaven and earth put on our flesh and blood. He took on our skin and bones and walked and ate and drank and cried and laughed and ministered and died right here on this earth so there wouldn't be any mistakes. So we could see God. Come and see Jesus. That's the invitation in the gospels. Those are the very first words that Jesus says in the Gospel of John. He says, come and see. Why? Because when you see Jesus, you see God. That's what Hebrews 1 is talking about. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Remember the angels at the empty tomb. They tell the women, come and see that's what Philip tells Nathaniel when he discovers the Messiah. Come and see. Why? Because again, when you see Jesus, you fully understand God. You see God, you get God. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And he says, if you've seen me, what? You've seen the Father. And so, in John 12, the people say, we would like to see Jesus. And here at Golf Course Road, yeah, us too. We want to see Jesus. Why? Because when you see Jesus, you get God. You understand God. So, today, the invitation is, come and see Jesus' rule. Because Jesus is a king. Jesus is a king. We knew Jesus was going to be a king even before he was born. Jesus is royalty. When the angel appeared to Mary in the middle of Luke chapter 1, the angel says, You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary and the Israelites, upon hearing this news, have got to be thinking, man, this is really great. This is awesome news. Because we haven't had a good king around here since the glory days of Solomon. Finally, a king for the house of David. Finally, the Israel dynasty is back. Finally, we're on our way back to the top. Except Jesus didn't go to Nazareth prep school. He didn't go to the Jerusalem Military Institute. Jesus did not march to Rome with the militia and confront the occupying forces. The very first thing Jesus did after his coronation was to go to the desert for a 40-day fast and a face-off with the devil. You remember the words of the devil? If you really are the son of God, if you truly are the king, then you need to act like a king is supposed to act. If you really are the son of God, turn these rocks into Subway sandwiches because I know how hungry you are. Use your power to make yourself something to eat. And if you're really the king... Jump off the temple tower and walk away without a scratch. Wow, all of the people with your impressive power and invincibility. If you are really the king, then take charge of all the kingdoms of the world. Take over the whole world and dominate. And Jesus said, no. Straight up, no. Jesus refused he resisted the temptation to become a king like everybody else is a king you know we're so enamored with politicians and their potency we're so eaten up with their platforms and their powers we we put their stickers on our cars and we stick their signs in our yards And we cheer as they manipulate and we identify as they insult and we exalt in their personality and force. And Jesus says, no. So, one of the first things we understand about Jesus is not in what he affirms, but in the very things he rejects. And so, we know right from the start, Jesus is not going to be a king the way we understand kings. It's going to be different. And I'll admit it up here if you won't. The things that Jesus says no to are some of the very things I'd give my right arm for. And that's scary for me. Because when I get impatient With the growth of the kingdom of God, when I get aggravated by what I perceive as a lack of kingdom of God results, when God is slow to deliver me from whatever it is I think I've got to be rescued from, at that very moment, I find myself using the words of the adversary. If you truly are the king, then you've got to give me what I want. If you really are the son of God, you need to answer my prayers the way I'm asking today. Right now, Lord, if you really are the king. When Mark is writing about these temptations, he says that Jesus is out in the desert with the wild animals. You ever wondered about that and what that means? Some people think Mark is trying to tie this temptation incident with Isaiah 11. In Isaiah 11, the prophet says, the king is coming and the king will be a servant, which again, it's not like the way we picture kings. And when this king comes, Isaiah 11 says, the wolf will lie with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion will be together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, the young will lie down together, the lion will eat straw like an ox. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. Elsewhere in Isaiah, when he's talking about this coming king, he says, the nations will all finally be at peace. The whole earth will be made new in God's great creation transformation. The dry barren desert will explode with blossoms and bubble up with springs and all the wild animals are going to get along. The hyenas won't be after Timon and Pumbaa anymore. Can I get an amen on that? Maybe putting Jesus out in the desert with the wild animals is Mark's way of saying that promised day has arrived. Now that Jesus is here, the whole world is being made right. Instead of being a world of, of tooth and nail cruelty, now it's a world of everlasting harmony and peace. Church, that's the kingdom of God. And the scriptures tell us Jesus is the anointed one. He is that coming king. And so, what are we supposed to see when we see Jesus rule? What do we learn about God? What is clearly and unmistakably revealed to us about the kingdom of God when we see Jesus rule? Well, the first thing is we see that the kingdom of God has come. It's already come. And we all want a better world. Can I get an amen on that? We want it to be better. We want it to be right. We want everybody to get along and we want everything to work peacefully, righteously. That's what we want. We want to feel a more intense presence of God. We want to be more aware of God's rule over every part of our world. We want the world to be Isaiah 11 perfect just the way our God created it. Well, it's one thing to look forward to that time. It's one thing to say the kingdom of God is coming. It's going to be here one day. It's another thing to look at Jesus and say the kingdom of God is here. It's already come. It's right here, today, right now. That's a whole nother thing. But let me tell you, church, that's what Jesus says. That is exactly what Jesus says. He says, now is the day of salvation. Remember his sermon in the, in the synagogue in Nazareth? He says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And when Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, that's the kind of urgency he always used. Sell everything you've got and grab that pearl of great price. Let go of everything today and take hold of that treasure in the field. Right now, today, now's the time. You hear Jesus saying these things, right? Trim your lamps, get dressed, wake up, be alert, pay attention. It's very urgent with Jesus. Why? Because the kingdom of God is here. Repent. That's what Jesus says, turn things around, change your ways or else you're going to be horribly out of step with the realities that have now come true with my arrival. That's the urgency. Listen, Jesus didn't get in trouble for preaching the kingdom of God. Everybody does that. He got in trouble for saying the kingdom of God is right here, right now. That's what got him in trouble. And it started the night he was born. Remember, he was born in a barn to poor peasants. And the good news was announced to the blue-collar shepherds working the overnight shift and to the wealthy foreigners who wound up on the scene with all those expensive gifts. And that was always the prophecy. That was always the hope that that the king would break down the power structures that all the worldly kingdoms are built on. The way the kingdoms of the world operate, all of that's coming down. The rich ruling over the poor, men oppressing women, natives sticking it to the foreigners, Caesar swagging around like he's some kind of a god. Those days with the coming of Jesus are over. Violence and aggression and war and force and threats and numbers and oppression and invasions. All of that's going away. That's the promise. Church, that is our hope. And Jesus says, now that I'm here, that's the reality. That's what we're supposed to see. That God himself has arrived and his kingdom has finally come. This is exactly what Paul sees when he writes in Ephesians that God has placed our King Jesus far above all rule and authority, far above all power and dominion, far above every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Notice how Paul just stacks these titles and powers right on top of each other. Verse 22, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. Listen, Christ's power over all the rulers of this world is total the very structures of life, the political structures, the financial structures, the biological structures, the historical and government systems, all the powers, church, Jesus Christ rules over them all. That's what we're supposed to see. But it's hard. That's the second thing. The kingdom of God is hard to see. In Luke chapter 17 the Pharisees are asking Jesus hey when is the kingdom of God going to come? Here's how Jesus answers the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation nor will people say oh here it is or oh yeah I see it over there it's hard to see Now, all of us in this room, we believe that Jesus is Lord. All of us in this room, we confess that Jesus is the king and that he is ruling at the right hand of God right now, today, and forevermore. Amen? But, but, I've been watching the news this week. Have you? It's hard. With all the evil and suffering in this world, with all the injustice and disappointment and violence, with all the pain in our own city, with all the pain and disappointment maybe in your own life, how can we really say that Jesus is ruling? The truth is, not everybody can see it. The incompletion of the kingdom or or maybe it's seemingly very slow advance is a barrier to faith in Jesus as our ruler. His identity as the all-powerful, all-conquering victor is not, it's not self-evident. His reign right now today in the middle of this broken world is open to interpretation. And I would add revelation that's what we need to see it we need a a revelation in Luke chapter 10 that's what Jesus is talking about when he says to the crowd actually he's praying in front of the crowd when he says I praise you father lord of heaven and earth because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned they can't see it but you have revealed them to little children Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. No one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal. It's a gift of faith, this revelation that we need to see the kingdom and the King. It's a revelation Through this gift of faith, some people recognized it. Some people saw it, but not everybody. Remember, Pilate didn't see it. Jesus told Pilate right to his face, remember? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, we'd fight. That's why it's so hard to see. Because the kingdom of our Lord Jesus does not operate the way the kingdoms of the world operate. King Jesus doesn't win the way the world's kings and presidents and generals win, and so it is hard to say. In fact, it's a wonder that anybody looked at Jesus and the seemingly insignificant results of his ministry and claimed he was the king, but some people did. By the gift of faith, a lot of people did. Those closest to Jesus, they saw it, In this same context, in the middle of Luke 10, Jesus turned to his disciples and he said to them privately, I love this, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but they didn't see it. It's hard to see, brothers and sisters, but you and I do see it. We together... We recognize it. We are blessed to actually see it. I think we see it all the time in here on Sunday mornings. A couple of weeks ago when Brenda and Berenger got out of their seats and walked down front to share the Lord's Supper with Stephanie and with her family. On the day Stephanie was baptized, brothers and sisters that's the kingdom of God. Byron and Carla every Sunday pick up Arles and they faithfully bring him to this building so he can participate in this community of faith so he can be blessed and so he can bless us. Church, that's the kingdom of God. Those four young men who gave their lives to Christ through Teen Challenge on Wednesday night, that is the kingdom of God. Anytime you see any acts of mercy, of love, of service, of forgiveness, anytime you see that, anytime you experience that, anytime you participate in that, brothers and sisters, that's the kingdom of God. We see it at Mission Agape every week. I've seen it at Midland Christian School in the past 10 days. I saw it Friday at the TED event here in Midland, when our businesses and our nonprofits came together to try to collaborate on better, more effective ways to minister to the needy and the poor in this city. We're going to experience it at the Ash Wednesday service at First Presbyterian this week. That's the kingdom of God. When two bodies of Christians come together to put aside their differences and worship and serve in the name of Jesus as one holy, united body of Christ, church, that's the kingdom of God. And we get to see it. We get to experience it every day because the kingdom of God is among us. The kingdom of God is among us. Let me go back to that Luke 17 passage and finish what Jesus said as he answered the Pharisees' question. When is the kingdom of God coming? Jesus says, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is or there it is. Why? Because the kingdom of God is among you. It's right here with us. The kingdom of God is not just about power. It's not just about Christ's power over the powers of this earth and beyond. It is about empowering ordinary men and women to be the agents of God's eternal reign. Now, not everybody can see it because it's carried out by a weak little band of disciples in Galilee. And it's carried out by a weak little community of faith at a church that meets on Golf Course Road in Midland, Texas. But we see it. The worship and the service and the cup of cold water given in the name of Jesus. We see it. We're we're, we're blessed by God to see that these incredibly small things are used by our king to miraculously advance his kingdom. We know, church, because we see it. That the old world is losing its grip and the new world is being born. Listen, Jesus never said the world is coming to an end. He never said that. What he said was Rome's rule over the world is coming to an end. Now, that was unsettling for people who put too much stock in the Roman Empire, but it's true. That's what Jesus said. The world's rule over the world is coming to an end. And that's unsettling news for people who put a little too much stock into the American empire too. Can I get an amen? But it's true. God's reign through our King Jesus Christ has come and it is coming and it is advancing powerfully among us. And so King Jesus says, Give up your agenda and take up mine. Or to actually quote him from Mark chapter 1, Jesus says, this is his first sermon in Mark, right? The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent, Jesus says. Change your life. The realities of the kingdom of God demand it. Listen, to be a citizen in the kingdom of God is not feeling differently in your heart. It's living differently on the ground. It is among you, Jesus says. The kingdom of God is not a new religion. It's not a warm, fuzzy, spiritual experience. It's not even a plan for your personal salvation. The kingdom of God is about the whole world finally becoming what God always created and intended it to be. A whole new world where mourners are comforted and where the hungry are filled And yes, this grand final reality isn't here all the way yet. But church, it's coming. And with the reign of Jesus Christ, it will not be stopped. So our lives have to be changed. It's not just conversion. It's transformation. It's not just the forgiveness of your sins. It's discipleship. It's a brand new creation. As Jesus' subjects, it's not how can I live a more purposeful life? It's how can I line up my life to be right in step with God's will for the universe? It's not act this way and perform these things and then someday you'll be able to enter the kingdom of God. No, it is in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the kingdom of God has come to you. Now wake up and live into that reality that the kingdom of God is here that's what Jesus is saying in the sermon on the mount in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7 he says things are different now adultery used to be having sex with somebody you're not married to now it's looking at someone lustfully You used to divorce your wife by writing her a note of dismissal. But that's not how God intends men and women to get along. Now with the kingdom of God, all people are expected to keep all their promises for better or worse. A better righteousness is required now. Listen, not just based on God's commands, based on the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And his mercy. And his love. There was a time when certain kinds of behavior made sense in the old world. But now, with the coming of the kingdom of God, you got to rethink everything. When you look at Jesus and say, I believe, what you're saying is... I believe he is the king. I believe his victory is true and his reign is right. And I'm getting a new passport with a new citizenship and a new set of allegiances because I am now, today, living in a different kingdom, the kingdom of God. Amen. When you say Jesus is Lord, you're saying Caesar is not. And that's radical. That's revolutionary. That's wild. And that'll get you arrested. Jesus is Lord? (laughs) No, he's not. That's what the world says. You say Jesus is Lord, you're going to get in trouble. Acts chapter 17, that's what happened in Thessalonica. Jason and all the Christians meeting in his small group, they're rounded up on a Sunday night. And here's the charge. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying there's another king, one called Jesus. Wait, there's another king? The world says, I had no idea. But we know it. We know there's another king. And Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. You're either going to be devoted to one and despise the other. You're going to love the one or hate the other. You can't serve both. And so we've got to live fully into the kingdom of God among us. And we've got to live it right now today, church. Not like the world lives. The exact opposite of the way the world lives. Unconditional love for everybody. Unlimited forgiveness for everybody. Sacrificial suffering Love and service for everybody. Well, Alan, won't that just make us doormats for the world? Listen to me. You are thinking and you're living in the wrong kingdom when you say that. You're thinking and living in the kingdom that's being done away with, the kingdom that is fading away, the kingdom that God's kingdom is trampling right now with the blood of Jesus. That kind of thinking, that kind of living, it's going away, church. Living in mercy and love and acting with gentleness and sacrificial service. Hear me, that's how we take charge. In the name and in the manner of Jesus. That's how we join the revolution. That's how we live into and practice the great turnaround. We live into the great reality that's revealed to us in Revelation chapter 11. Here's the reality. The kingdom of the world ain't the kingdom of the world anymore. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Come and see Jesus rule. We see it. And when we see it, I mean really, really see it. We will boldly assert that God, not nations, rules the world that the boundaries of the kingdom of God transcend those of Caesar or Vladimir Putin or the Mexican American war and we are the people who see the eternal universal rule of Christ and we are the people who are willing to pay the price to live it that's the reality church brothers and sisters that's the truth God is sovereign and Jesus is Lord and his Holy Spirit is inside us and the powers of this world are in big trouble. Big trouble. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Praise God. At the beginning of Jesus's ministry, Satan tries to knock Jesus off course. Out in the desert, Satan says, if you're the son of God, If you are really the king of kings. And the devil got nowhere. He left Jesus, the Bible says, for a more opportune time. And that's about the only thing we hear out of Satan in the Gospels. We really don't see him or hear from him at much, uh, much until the very end at the crucifixion. We hear the devil's words at Golgotha. We hear the words of the adversary in the crowd. If you really are the son of God, come down from that cross. If you really are the king, save yourself. Our Lord Jesus had 10,000 angels on speed dial. He could have ended it right there. He could have wiped out every bloodthirsty Roman. He could have destroyed every crooked religious Jew at Calvary that day. But he didn't. He wouldn't. He refused to rule in any way other than the way God, his father, called him to rule. And so he suffers and dies in agony. He forgives his tormentors. He prays for those who are insulting him. And he stretches out his arms to his murderers in a merciful embrace. And he willingly and sacrificially and lovingly dies. You see it? This is how Jesus rules. This is how Jesus wins. This is how Jesus conquers. Like this. And when you see this, you realize that the picture we have of Jesus in Revelation 19, the conquering king, riding on the white horse of victory, you realize the blood on his robe is his own. The only weapon our Lord Jesus ever used was sacrificial, suffering, servant love for others and for you. Do you see it? Come and see Jesus rule like this. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the good news. Stand with me, church. Let's pray together as a community of faith. Father, our hearts are overflowing with gratitude. We are so thankful to you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for suffering and sacrificing and serving us. Father, we're all thankful, everybody in this room. And in Jesus' name, the name of our King, would you please hear us as we silently lift up to you our thanksgiving, God. Hear us say thank you to you right now. And Father, we know we have to repent. We need to change our ways to be in line with your righteous rule. It looks a little different for all of us, but God, there are things we need to change. So Father, in Jesus' name, the name of our King, please hear us as we ask for strength as we ask for resolve. And Father, we want to lift up to you right now that thing that that we know we need to repent of, that thing that needs to be changed, that thing that needs to be turned around in our lives so that we're more in line with your righteous rule. Father, would you please, in your mercy, would you hear us as we lift up that thing to you right now? You are our king, Father. We have no other. And we know that someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the king and the ruler right now, today, and forever. But, Father, we want to bow and we want to confess right now. We want to get ahead of the crowd. We want to beat the rush. Father, be at work in our lives today and this week so that we bow our knees, so that we confess your kingship over our lives and over the entire universe. We ask all these things and we give you praise, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ and all of God's people say together, amen.